Greetings and salutations from Times Square, crossroads of the world. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Good morning, everybody. Today is Tuesday, September 15, 2020. And we and we have a special show today. We've got a, a special guest, and our topic for today is the Las Vegas monorail. So let's welcome to the show for the first time senior legal analyst from DebtWire, Sarah Foss. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. All right. Also on the line, we have our intrepid reporter from DC, Chuck Stanley. Chuck Stanley, welcome back. Thanks a lot. Good to be here. All right. So, as I mentioned, our show will focus on the Las Vegas monorail. And to our listeners who are listening in in terms of mini financing, the Las Vegas monorail has sort of a, we would say, sort of a troubled past. Not quite the luck that um, you would think it would have in Las Vegas. But anyway, without getting too much into the into the woods, we're going to talk about its second bankruptcy filing and Sarah Foss. We have uh, one rule on the Muni Lowdown, and the rule is guests always go first. So, Sarah, let's start with you. Let's talk about the Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing last week of the Las Vegas monorail. Sure, I think I think we're at a Chapter 22 for them right now. Um, but they, <laughs> <laughs> they filed for bankruptcy last week, uh, September 7th, uh, in Nevada Bankruptcy Court. And they entered bankruptcy after what we like to call a pre-filing sale process, meaning they were negotiating a sale of themselves prior to actually filing for bankruptcy. And they're proposing to sell themselves, that being the monorail, uh, the name, the Las Vegas monorail, um, all related assets to the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority, which is a, a governmental unit. And they're proposing that they are going to act as the stocking horse bidder for the assets. Uh, the purchase price we're talking about here is $24.1 million. And the authority has already provided a non-refundable deposit of $1.8 million, which the monorail, the debtor in this case, is going to use to fund its stay in bankruptcy. And they're hoping to do this, the sale and bankruptcy case just generally, on an accelerated time frame, you know, hoping to have everything done by the end of November. And the company has said that they're on this accelerated timetable um, because of, of what they say are quote-unquote liquidity issues, which I think is a really nice way of saying that they're about to run out of money. Um, as the monorail, you know, I understand is, is not operating and generating no revenue right now. So that's kind of generally where, where we are with the case. Right. Uh, running on literally fumes at this point because of COVID-19. Right. Now, so in, in covering this, did you, Sarah, did you come up with anything interesting in terms of the filing and this whole situation? Yeah, I mean, there's a few things that, that jumped out at me that were pretty interesting. I think first off, you know, we're, they filed in Nevada, right? I mean, where else were they going to file? But we, we just don't see a lot of um, these big bankruptcies being filed in Nevada. So, you know, it'll just be interesting to see here, you know, what this bankruptcy judge, what she has to say and how she, you know, her take on the case. I think sometimes judges can be a wild card in these situations. Um, 
And the, the other interesting thing um, is that I think that it's, it's interesting and not interesting is that it's sort of keeping in line with other bankruptcies we've seen, you know, in other industries, oil and gas, retail, and that they are on this accelerated timetable, right? I mean, they don't want to spend a lot of time in bankruptcy. They don't have the money to spend a lot of time in bankruptcy right. so that they're on this accelerated time frame. Now, like you mentioned before, the accelerated time frame is, I believe you said, end of November is when they plan. Right. Okay. And they're hoping to have it all wrapped up. Yep. So what's next for them? Because I know, I think I believe um, the uh, the Monterey and the Las Vegas Convention and Business Story, which you mentioned, have been in talks, I think, since July. So what's what's the next step for them with the timeline? Sure. So they're going to actually run a sale process, right? Mm -hmm. so they're going to see if anybody else comes up and mm -hmm. wants to bid for these assets. Um, I think there haven't been um, dates, firm dates set yet, but I think we can expect probably in the next you know month or so, there's going to be a deadline for other parties to submit what they call qualified bids. And then if they do get more than one bid, uh, you know, a bid in addition to the authority, there's going to be an auction. So, you know, there's a question here of how likely that is, right? You know, are you going to get any third parties here wanting to own the monorail? I mean, there, there are some problems with that in that if the monorail is sold to a for-profit company, it would lose its tax-exempt status, meaning that the bonds, the tax-free nature of the bonds would be eliminated and they would have to be refinanced. There are also certain easements and right-of-way um, at stations by the Harrah's and Imperial Palace, you know, hotels, casinos, that those would automatically terminate if uh, the monorail were owned or operated by a for-profit entity. Thus, you know, it, it, it's probably not that likely that another bidder, you know, will actually emerge. And, and if they do, you know, in terms of how much, you know, more money you might expect um, the stocking horse, the authority, you know, in exchange for acting as the stocking horse, they're getting certain bid protections. So somebody would have to come in and top their bid with um, the amount of these bid protections. So the authority would be entitled to a 2% breakup fee an expense reimbursement of $350,000. So somebody would have to come in with at least that much, plus, you know, another, you know, determined amount of money um, to top that bid, if it were to, another bidder were to come forward. Right, and that's very interesting since, uh, and if you, if you don't mind, Sarah, hold on one second, because this is a good chance to bring Chuck in. So Chuck, since uh, we're debt wire municipal, let's talk about, like Sarah mentioned, if someone else came in, it would lose, the monorail would lose its tax exempt status. And let me note for our listeners out there that the Las Vegas monorail is probably the only entity that is a privately owned, but a not-for-profit organization. So let's talk about what Sarah was talking about in terms of if it were to be sold for a not-for-profit company. And in terms of the salary right now, what's going on with that? Right. So um, from looking through the court documents, uh, what we can tell about the details of this sale, um, it looks like a big part of this, uh, this sale price is going to go towards paying off the bonds issued last year by Las Vegas Monorail uh, to Preston mm -hmm. Hollow Capital. So a little background, you you'd mentioned the monorail's sort of fraught history. They went through a bankruptcy that they initiated in 2010, um, which essentially wiped out more than 90% of the outstanding debt remaining on about $650 million worth of bonds issued in 2000. Right. 
Uh, and that was part of the the system's expansion to basically its current state, which uh, serves six casinos and the Las Vegas con uh, Convention Center. Last year, they came back to market with a, a much smaller issuance. Uh, it was up to $33 million in debt, which they did through Preston Hollow, which specializes in these sort of private placements that they advertise as kind of custom tailored to an individual issuer. And in this case, there was just a little more than $20 million in, dollars in principal issued. And then um, basically what amounts to a line of credit of up to $13 million uh, that Preston Hollow had agreed to provide the system. Now, we don't know how much, if any, of that additional $13 million has been drawn down over the past year. But it seems like a significant portion of the sale price that the um, Convention Center Authority is looking to put up will go towards paying back Preston Hollow for that principal. Yeah, and like you mentioned, this the the bonds issued in two thousand, like you said, six fifty million were initially issued. I believe four hundred fifty million were uh, insured by AMBAC, which has its own troubled history. But let's <laughs> let's look forward. So I know. Regardless of COVID-19, the monorail still had some capital needs going forward in terms of their expansion, right? That's right. So some of that borrowing was that was issued last year was going to go towards a uh, an expansion. They're looking to expand by two stations, at least they were prior to this crisis. But longer term, uh, the company says that it needs to replace its train fleet fleet by 2034, and that's a long way off, but the estimated cost for that is almost $200 million. And then there's another $50 million in capital needs that the system is gonna need during that time. So this isn't gonna be just a, you know, a one-off purchase and, and hope that ridership returns to the monorail sooner than later. They're gonna have significant capital needs going forward um, that I assume is gonna rely on, on a real bounce back in ridership. Uh, again, sooner rather than later. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, I I was in Vegas many, many years ago before the monorail. I think I think it was built, but we never used it. I never used it. But just for listeners out there, if they remember, a year ago, we did a podcast on, uh, we talked about the monorail itself, and Greg Clark, head of Indian Research, talked about it. And he pointed out two interesting things. One was that the monorail is parallel to the strip, but it's not on the strip. So let's say if you were taking it, you would still have to go through the hotels and get to the strip. That's number one. And number two, it's relatively close to McCarran Airport. However, when they talked about expansion plans, a lot of the taxi drivers and limousine drivers were sort of complaining, you know what? We would lose our business if you put the monitor, if you had expense to the airport. So for most people flying in, to Vegas and you got luggage, you would probably take a taxi and goes right to your hotel, drops you off right there, as opposed to taking the monorail where you have to lug your luggage across and then drag it along the strip, which is not a fun thing to do in the Las Vegas heat. But that's something I'm we did a last little background. year. background, it just seems like the monorail is most useful for somebody who is staying at one of the casinos that has a monorail stop on site. And if you're going to another casino that also has a monorail site, but anywhere else along the strip, you may be better served with an Uber or a Lyft or a taxi. Yeah, definitely for sure. All right then. Um, so 
Sarah, I want to thank you so much for your time today. Um, I'm sure you, you know anything okay. else happens, you'll let us know what's going on. And Chuck, we'll continue your good work for, uh, as always on Delaware Municipals. And again, anything that happens with that in terms of transportation, I'm sure you'll cover that. Thanks a lot. Always a pleasure. All right. And, all right. And to our listeners out there, thank you for tuning in. We also want to thank Christian Ayala, our producer, for making us sound good. But again, thanks again to Sarah and Chuck today. Thanks to, to our listeners out there. And please tune in week after week to the latest on Distress Mini Debt on the Mini Lowdown. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Mini Lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.